So we got the On Fire group here this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I have been instructed by Pastor to continue on with our Reformation message. And we will be discussing this morning um, the being reformed through sanctification. Now, normally I'm up here hooping and hollering, but God said teach this morning. <laughs> this is one of the most foundational, most important uh, um, things in the scriptures. There's more things about sanctification and redemption in the scriptures. This is all that the Bible talks about. So this morning, you should definitely take copious notes. If you are an MIT or you plan to be an MIT, you want to take notes on this because this is a big theological point in Christianity. If you don't know it, you, you, you need to know it. You will know it and you will teach it. You will have to discuss it, defend it, and understand it. But one of the most important things that learning about sanctification does is it really breaks down for you what Christ has really done for your life. It is powerful. So the first one is sanctification defined. So what we want to do is first know that sanctification, it's when something, is, when something is sanctified, it's separated from common use to be designated for a sacred use. So God sanctified several things in the scriptures. So he sanctified uh, the, the seventh day and he made it holy. We found that in Genesis. He set aside a nation. That nation, of course, is Israel. In that nation, he set aside a group of people. They were called the Levites or the priests, right? Okay. And he can consecrate or separate things like a temple or a tabernacle or you. So God will set you apart or set things apart. So what I want us to, to go into is we're going to first talk about um, sanctification as it is seen in the Old Testament. So with Old Testament sanctification, I'm, I'm going to try to walk you through this is a model of the tabernacle if you were looking over. This is like the tabernacle of Moses. Some of you may have seen this before, maybe not, but we're going to walk through it. If you were looking down over it, and the entry, <laughs> and the entry place is to your right, um, back one, yeah, right there where it says E, that would be your entry place, okay? So as we walk into the tabernacle, the first thing that you're going to go in through into is uh, it's just like a little curtain. On the very outside is the camp where all the Israelites lived, okay? And you're going to walk in, and the first thing that you come to is like a burnt al altar, uh, a burnt altar. That's where they sacrificed all of the animals. You know, they s God required there to be a sacrifice for sin, and if you remember, you've seen in Sunday school, they had to make sacrifices constantly. This was a very bloody job. The priest's job, for if it was me and Minister Hudson, we would just be slaying animals all day. That's literally how they had to live. They slew animals all day, okay? And once a year, the high priest would go into 
the inner inner place, which we'll talk about that. But that, this was a very bloody job. This was not fun, okay? So they went through, and the first is the burnt altar. That's where they put the sacrifices, and they would slit their throat and then, you know, take the blood for the altar. The second area is the laver. This is a giant bowl of water made of mirrors. And the laver was supposed to be where after the priests had done all the slaying of the animals, they would then wash their hands, okay? But guess what it always also represented? It was a washing. After there's a sacrifice, there's a washing and a reflection. They had to look at themselves because they were bringing sacrifices for the people, but they had to look at themselves as they washed, okay? Then going into the, the uh, second area, this whole second area is called the inner court, that whole second area, okay? When you walk into the inner court where it says holy place, there were three items of importance. So the two circles there at the very top going from your right, that is a table if you were looking down at it. And the two circles represent two um, piles of bread, two piles of like pita-looking bread, okay? And each pile had six loaves on it. And so that represented 12, the 12 tribes of Israel. That bread represented, it was called the bread of his presence, okay? So the, the priests had to uh, make sure that there was daily bread in the tabernacle for the presence of God as an offering. They also, to the right, if you look at this little yellow, if you're looking down this little yellow line, that was a menorah. You know what a menorah is? Has everybody seen a menorah? The candles that the Jews use, the big candles with the eight, seven, you'll see seven or eight. Okay, that's a menorah. Well, what they did was they filled that with oil, and they lit it. The lamp should never go out in the tabernacle. This was God's requirement. The fire of God was never to go out in the tabernacle. So they had to have fresh bread daily, fresh manna daily. The fire of God could never go out in the tabernacle. The presence of God could never be dismissed from the tabernacle. And as you get closer to the Holy of Holies, there was the altar of incense. Now, this is where the priests would go in. Now, now be, between um, the, the holies of holies and the holy place, these are huge, huge. Like if you took these curtains right here and tripled them, that's how thick it was. So imagine they're in there with all of this smoke and blood and incense, and they've got to wave this as a prayer offering before God. They're pretty much getting choked out in there, I'm just going to tell you. If you've ever been to a Roman Catholic church, you know what that smell is like. It's very pungent, okay? So they're in there, and the only light is the menorah. That's the only light they have, okay? So in the outer court, you had the surrounding light. In the inner area, you had the light of the menorah. And it also represented the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God that could shine a light on that daily bread, on that word to give them revelation. So then here comes this, the, the last portion, which is the Holy of Holies. This is where the 
Ark of the Covenant was. This is where the, the glory of God was. And at night, the glory was so strong, it would shine up through the tent. And all the nations around Israel could see, oh, yeah, that's their God. That, that he's powerful. Uh, he killed the Egyptians. Remember that? Remember that? Y'all, don't bother them. Don't bother them. So for 487 years straight, they were worshiping like this. Okay, they were worshiping just like this. This is how, so, so lineage after lineages of priests will be slaying animals, slaying, slaying, slaying animals. And then when they, they would, the high priest would go in once a year, and if his heart wasn't right, what would happen? On the spot, they would say, next. You, somebody got to go before the Lord for the people. So they would call the next Levite. You know, this was a real thing. Okay, and just walking in through this process, and if you go to the to the next slide after that um, tabernacle slide, there is uh, a, a direct correlation which all the scholars agree with how God set this thing up to prepare or pre-show what he was going to do with Christ. So you have on the very outside of that tabernacle I just show you, that was the camp, and they would have all of their houses around the tabernacle. They were positioned by tribe, and when they moved, they moved in the same way. So it was this big, huge group of people with, a, with this shining um, ball in the middle. <laughs> so the outside of the camp, anybody could come. The Gentiles could come, the, meaning the unsaved. Those that were not a part of the covenant could come and participate and be in their lives. The outer court was where uh, Israel, anyone in Israel could come. Um, th there was a court of women. Now, the women could not go into certain places in the tabernacle because only the men were Levites, okay? So they had the brazen altar, and of course what I'm showing you is it symbolizes the sacrifice that Christ made at that brazen altar, the cleansing that he did for us with the laver, salvation, the inner court, which was only the priests, where we have the menorah, the sh table of showbread, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and the word, and the sanctification process. In other words, all of these things are part of your inner court, are part of now that you are saved, now that you are in the covenant people, you now have a process going on in your life, in the inner courts of your life where the Holy Spirit is working, where there's a worship to God alone, where there is prayer, and the word of God is transforming your mind. So all of these things, God was pre-setting the stage for what he would do in the, in the New Testament he was showing in the Old Testament. And, of course, the, in the holies of holies, the priest would come. Now, the priest would take the blood of the, of the animal that he just killed, and he would dip his finger in it and put it in seven places in that uh, tabernacle. Now, keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that seven um, in a few minutes. So. Let's go on to the next slide. So you can see God is so strategic and he's so detailed that whatever he is doing, he does it in excellence. Now, the tabernacle, which I'm, you know I'm going to give you a Jewish word, so you're going to have to write this down. You're going to get a Hebrew word, mishkan 
Mishkan means, it's the word for tabernacle, and it means dwelling. So the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. And so when the scriptures call you the holy, you the tabernacle, the sanctuary where the Holy Spirit dwells, you are now the Mishkan in motion. You are now the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. So the tabernacle of Moses or the tent of meeting is another name for it was a way that God began to show how sanctification through the shedding of blood was going to bring redemption. Now, um, so we all know that sin requires a payment. Sin asks for a check, right? What is the, what is the payment for sin? Death. So for you and I, really, we should have been paying that debt on the first sin, right? But instead, the scriptures, and we'll go to Romans chapter 6. So it says, for when we were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye? Then if those things were, ye were now ashamed for. The end of those things was death. But now being made free from sin, became servants to God. You have fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. Because the wages of sin was death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So you can see where the blood begins to bring about sanctification. So in the Old Testament, the price that was paid, the check that was required, they used bulls and goats and pigeons and oil and bread. Those were the offerings that were made up. Now in the New Testament, and that sanctification was only outward, only outward. So they were called ceremoniously clean. You'll see that word in the scriptures. They were ceremoniously clean. But now the blood of Jesus does what for us? It washes us on the inside. But when Christ came as the high priest of a good thing, we are now, I'm in Hebrews 9, and this is uh, 11. Now already we went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of this creation he did enter by means of he did not enter by the means of goats and calves but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood thus attaining eternal redemption the blood of goats and bulls and ashes and heifers sprinkled on those who were ceremoniously unclean them so that they outwardly were clean but how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse not only our inside, but literally our conscience. The scriptures say he cleanses our conscience. So the power of the blood of Jesus not only washes the sin away from your life, to sanctify, to separate, to make you a vessel pure and clean, ready for service for God. It purifies your conscience of the very sin that will condemn you. This is why the scriptures say there is no condemnation for those who are. If you are in Christ, the condemnation is washed away by the blood. So when Satan takes your name before the high courts of heaven, Christ stands in the front and says, I've paid that already. I've already paid that price. Not guilty. 
So we've been acquitted. It wasn't that we weren't guilty, but we've been acquitted. Acquitted means you should have gone to jail. You should have been under the jail. But God said, not so. Acquitted. Acquitted. So this is what the blood of Jesus does for us. But um, So here are some examples, and I want you to just go to the next one. Here's some exam- examples of the sanctifying work of God through the blood, through blood, period. So first of all, you all have, um, you know in Genesis where Adam and Eve sinned, right? Now you understand, you know, we like to think that when Adam and Eve sinned and they, you know, they found themselves naked, we like to think that what happened at the moment they sinned, the clothes fell off. That is not what happened. That is not what happened. What happened was they lost the glory. They were made in the image and likeness of the spirit of the living God. They walked and talked with him. And they were clothed, the whole earth was clothed in the glory of God. And the second that they sinned, that glory fell away from them. And they said, oh, no, we're actually, we're, we're human beings. We're, we're, we're fallen. We're failing. We're dying. Okay, so this is why they took the leaves from the tree. The gl- the, see, the glory had left them, but the, the trees hadn't sinned. So there, were, there was a level, a level of everything has a level of glory. Even the world has a level of glory. You understand what I'm saying? So the trees at that time, had a le- they were covering themselves with leaves. But you understand sin requires a sacrifice. Sin requires the shedding of blood for the remission or the wiping away of sin. So there had to be some bloodshed. So what did God do? He killed an animal. But so we like to think that that was cute, that they had leather, you know, they had on leather. (laughs) They were profiling. No, this was a bloody spectacle. It was a bloody mess. He slew the animal and put that upon them. Something had to die for that sin that, that God would not destroy them. God was making a way from the first, from the beginning. That's God's love for us. But he had to make sure that they did not take a, the, the, a bite of an eternal fruit, that they would live in that fallen state forever because he was already planning a way back. So they couldn't stay in the garden. At least they find that other tree and eat from the tree of life and live forever in an eternal state of sin. You see what God has done, how he's so strategic, how he's so loving, how he's so compassionate. That animal lost his life, but Adam and Eve did not. So he still had to cover that sin in the blood, in a blood. But, of course, we know the blood of bulls and goats or whatever it was could not remit their sin. It just covered it. It just covered it. So this is an example. The second that I have here, and another example, is, of course, Passover. You all know what, does anybody not know what happened in the story of Passover? It's okay if you don't. So in Passover, so here's what happened in Passover. This is where we get... um, uh, you know, our eating of the wine and the bread. It all comes from the things that God was doing. Christ celebrated Passover. The Passover he was celebrating is what, what I'm about to tell you. So what happened was 
Israel was enslaved by who? Pharaoh, by Egypt, okay? And God sent Moses and said, Moses, go get them. Bring them out. They're going to worship me alone. They're not going to worship the gods of Egypt. I'm going to bring them out. The way that God brought them out, he was um, demonstrating his power because Pharaoh was the biggest thing going. That's like, that's like you and I coming against the United States Army. You know, the Navy, the Army, the Marines, all of them, and we just standing there like, we, our God, is, he's on our side. He ain't on your side. He's on our side, right? So, you, you know, this is, this is a big deal. So all of the known world at that time is watching these events. You know the gossip went out. Did you see the frogs in that land? So there were 10 plagues in which God was, in each one of those plagues, was a god of Egypt. So the frog, there was a frog god. There was a blood god. You know, each one of them, he was showing, I'm more powerful than your god. I am the living god. So the testimony of the most powerful nation at that time was undergoing judgment by the spirit of the Lord. And so he kept hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he could show himself strong in the earth. He'll do that for you too. So in a problem, he is looking for whom he might show himself strong because there's a testimony of people that need to say, well, you're God, he's God. No, no, he's God, he's God, right? So... This is what was happening in Egypt. So now for them to come out, the last plague was when the sons, the first son would die. Okay? Now, just listen to the symbolism. The son would die. Okay? Now, how they would get out and not their children be killed was they had to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost. So they had to do, this is why it's called Passover. Because the spirit of death was going to pass over them and kill the Egyptians, but not theirs. And so, you know, in the Prince of Egypt, they all come out, you know, Lana, you know, that song comes on and they're, they're leaving. But Pharaoh and his camp, they are sorrowful. But they didn't get instructions from God on how to pass from life, from death to life there was the blood on the doorpost. That blood is on the doorpost of your heart if you've accepted Christ into your life. That's why the wages of sin cannot meet you because Christ's blood is over the doorpost of your life saying, no, death, they belong to me. They have eternal life. God is so strategic. He's wonderful. So uh, when, when Moses went into the wilderness, God said, sanctify them, purify them, consecrate them. This is what he was doing. He said, this is what he did, he did to the people. He said, with blood. He sprinkled them with blood. Everybody left there with blood on the teeth. You know, it's just like they were being sanctified from the works of Egypt to come out and worship the Lord. But God told them to sanctify them, to set them apart by the blood. And lastly, this is just one of the Levitical laws. It's the law of the leper. Now, we, leprosy in the scriptures always represents sin and the sinner, okay? It always represents 
someone who, because they're a sinner, they've been cast out. They, they are not accepted. They actually, th this was the, one of the worst diseases of their time because not only, um, you know, your body parts would fall off, but you had to be ostracized completely because it was so contagious. If you touch somebody, they would become leprous as well. So these people lived in caves with their limbs and everything else falling off. The extremities would leave their body, okay? And eventually they would die because there was no cure. But the one law that God allowed, if God hadn't cursed the person, the one law that God allowed was that the leper could come before the priest and be sprinkled seven times with blood and they would be cleansed, meaning it would go away. So imagine a visible disease. You sprinkle with blood and then you come out well. This was also a testimony to not only God's people, but anybody who was watching Israel. Your God is God, because we can't sprinkle nothing and anything happen. But your priests are sprinkling and you're well. And the high priest does the same for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are made whole. It's the same thing, the leprosy of sin in our life. Christ died for, paid that price for us. So if you go on to the next. So those are just examples of what um, Christ did for us. So now let's move on, you know, to um, what happens in the New Testament. Because what happened in the Old Testament, that blood, of course, as I said to you, could only cover. It wasn't washing the people from the inside. But there's something about the kingdom of God and his righteousness for us. So the practical sanctification for the believer is that God has a process. So when you come out of being unsaved and you come into the body of Christ, okay, there is a sanctification that happens at that level. It's, it's actually called justification. You're, you're being justified by Christ, that you will no longer die in your sin, but he has justified you. He has said, yes, they should die, but I am making, I, by my justice, I am saying they, they will not. So he has justified you. That means he has gone to court for you and lifted up the papers and said, So there, there, this is the testimony, the testament, the covenant that he has with you in his blood. So, so you are justified. You are set apart from those that are unsaved in that respect. But now there's a process of sanctification. You are becoming holy and righteous in God. So there is a status that you are, and there is a process that you are becoming. Okay, and that is what we're going to talk about here really quickly. So at your new birth, you were dead in sin before, okay? At your new birth, you, you're at a point of conversion, which is called justification, okay? And you see the middle portion there. That's your Christian life. You're walking with God. You know how Pastor talked about our progressive walk in God, 
our progressive walk in righteousness, learning how to swing, that you might not get it all right. Some days you do well and some days you might fail, but you keep walking. Your Christian life is a journey. And so you're, that's the progressive growth of a Christian life. God desires that for us. You have to desire that for yourself. Now, can that be stagnated? Can it be stagnated? Can it halt? Somebody, who says no? Okay, who says yes? Okay, the yes is when. Why? Because you can say no to God. You know, we do it all the time. We want to stop and think about it. No, Lord, I don't, I, you know, I want to keep doing that. Or, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to step up to that plate. So there's a, there's a sanctification process that happens by the power of the Holy Ghost, but the agreement of you. Pastor taught that last week, right? It's better to agree with the Spirit of God. It goes a little bit better for you, right? So we want to agree with God. In the sanctification process, this is uh, the eternal sanctifying process that happens not only by the blood of Jesus, but also the eternal work of the Holy Ghost in our life. And it purifies us both within and without. So I wanted to just go to the next, yeah, just go to the next slide for me real quick. Back up. Okay. So we're going to talk just a little bit, a few uh, moments, because I wanted to just say this. In this little section, I just, I wanted to show this. Don't look at the bottom part. Just look at the top part. So the, the, there were seven places that Christ shed his blood. Seven places where the blood of the bulls and goats was in the tabernacle. Why is this important? Because all of these places represent something that God has done for you. You, you may or may not know what happened when they whipped him. Some people think that it was just a regular little cowboys and Indians whip. No, the Romans were cruel. They were very cruel. And the whip that they whipped him with had shards of bone in it sticking out the side so that when they whipped you and pulled it back, it would yank flesh straight out of your ribs, straight out of your back, straight out of whatever it hit. So that was 39 times that they pulled that whip back and just yanked him. This is why he was, he was not recognizable. Now, gentlemen, his beard, his face, that's what is the face part? They took large tweezers and pulled every single hair out of his beard. They just yanked them out. The sweat, of course, is the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew what he was going to have to undergo and, the, and the, the weight of what he was going to have to endure, even the weight of your sin and mine. For all time, he was carrying that for that moment. And it came down like sweat of blood, like blood and sweat. And um, his hands, of course, these were nine-inch nails that went through his hands, it had to be able to hold them up. That's what crucifixion was. You died by suffocation because you can't breathe like that. That's how you die. And what would happen is a lot of them would take too long to die, so they would break their bones. 
So they would break their legs so that they would go ahead and just drop and die. And then you can't breathe because you have to keep pushing yourself up in order to breathe. So every time you, every time you take a breath, you go <sighs> until they could no longer do that. So that's why they would break their legs. You see that in the movies. But they didn't break Christ's legs. Remember, no bone in the, this is Levitical law, that it can't be a, a lamb who has broken bones. So they couldn't break Christ's bones. He gave up his spirit before they got to him. Before they broke his bones. So, but to make sure that they're dead, they stick the, the, the sphere, spear up through to, you know, sort of pierce the heart, if not. And out came the water and the blood. So you can see, you, you're getting an idea. Nobody ever explained the crucifixion. They were very cruel. They meant for you to, to endure every second of it. And as Pastor said, naked before everybody. So it was a total embarrassment and a curse. And of course, those nine-inch nails through the feet as well. So what's happened is that we get to see, number one, that God had a plan from the beginning to sanctify us to sanctify man and to cleanse. How can a man who is unholy be able to reach a holy God? But his love is so great that he reached down each time through the years to come and get you and I in some way. And his final sacrifice on that cross meant that none of us, none of us had to, to die, that we could accept him, receive him. So those seven places are just like he was becoming the tabernacle that the Jews, they rejected. He had so many signs that he was following the Levitical law of being a lamb. A lamb had to be spotless. A lamb had to be the first son. All of those signs, all of those symbols, he couldn't have a broken bone. He had every single Levitical law under who he was. He followed it to the T, even more so. So what you have seen today, at least on these slides, is what God does for us. There's also a little bit of work that you and I must do. And... Um, if you will turn to me to turn with me to First Thessalonians five twenty two through twenty four. Go to the next slide for me. So there's a little bit of work of sanctification that you and I must do. I'm going to read First Thessalonians as you get there. Um, I'm also going to read Galatians two and twenty. This is the work of the saint, of the person that is truly wanting to live their life in Christ, to progress, to grow in righteousness and holiness and the goodness of God. First Thessalonians 5 and 23 to 24 says, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, the one who calls you in faith, and he will do it. And the first part of that is you reject every kind of evil. 
If we go to Galatians 2 and 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what we have is a life that is where you and I are rejecting evil. We've made a choice to crucify ourselves in Christ, to crucify sin and take up the cross and follow him in that. And here's our last one. This is Hebrews 10, 5 through 10, and we'll be closing. And it says, wherefore, when he comes into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering thou would not, but a body thou hast prepared. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Then said I, this is Christ, I am come in the volume of the book. The book is written of me to do your will. Above, when he says sacrifice and offering, then, then he said, by which we are sanctified through this offering of the body of Christ Jesus once and for all. So this, and this is our close. So just to sum up what we're saying, the sanctification of Christ from the beginning, from what he did to, for Adam and Eve in a bloody skin to what he did for you and I on the cross is to set us apart, to sanctify us as holy vessels unto him, for him. It's a work that only Christ could do by his spirit for each of us. The only way that we can be sanctified is by the power of the Holy Ghost and by that Holy Ghost working the grace of God in us. This is how we can um, work out our soul salvation. When you and I think about holiness or what God is calling for holiness, it's not what we wear. It's not even some of the things that we consider religiously okay. It is truly the intent of the heart. It's the hidden thing that is unseen. It's the weight that we allow the Holy Spirit to have in our life versus our own will. That's how we progress in our Christian walk. We say more yeses to God and less yeses to ourselves and our flesh. And we yield ourselves to the things that God has called us to. We love and treat our neighbor well. And we walk according to God's will. Obedience to what God has told you through the Spirit, by his grace. I said it before, reading the word of God will begin to transform your mind. I want to say something about that. Whatever, and we, we've talked about this so much, whatever you feed your soul stays there. So what you looked at, saw, should have done, whatever, at 10 years old, is still there, feeding your soul. Okay? So you want to, when you are a conscious Christian, the word of God can begin to cleanse and create new pathways for your mind, for your thinking. This is what it means not to be, because conforming, and I did this before, this is what conforming is. 
okay? It is a weight of a thought or an action that begins to change the way that you are shaped, formed, and begin to act. So you can be conformed just by if all you're looking at every single day is something on TikTok about this, that, and the other. It begins to transform you to think, oh, this is good. Oh, this, oh, I need that. Oh, I should do this. Oh, I should be like them. That begins to transform you, uh, conform you. But the scriptures transform means that you go from one stage to a totally different stage. It's only the spirit and the power of God that can transform something from one thing to another. So the spirit of God can begin to change you where the world will try to push you into its mold. Okay? So that's another thing. So from there, the word of God, also just worship and time spent with God. Now, I want to tell you, when I say worship, I don't mean just Sunday morning in our 30 minutes. It's your time with God that makes your time with God special. It's what makes your life in God strengthened. When you spend time with him, you say you're important. Because you spend time with those you love, right? Okay. So something is set in your spirit, in the spirit realm around you, when you dedicate time to the spirit of God. Not only does he begin to talk and transform you on the inside, you set your atmosphere around you. Okay. So those are the kinds of things that are practical for a Christian, obviously coming to church and being amongst the saints. But also another thing, and, you know, we say this to teenagers, but we have to also, whatever in your life detracts from the spirit of God in your life, you have to detract from it. You have to sanctify yourself. Because some things, people, whatever situations, your friends are arguing and you jump in and you're rolling your neck. That just took your soul straight down spiraling with them. There's no witness there for you or them, right? So there's some things that you have to walk in in God that's just simply a decision. Okay, so I think we're done. I don't think I need an altar call today. You've gotten all you need <laughs> to know about sanctification. Sanctification.